I want to share for a, a bit. Um, the Lord's been stirring me up in some things. Last time we got together and I was able to share, we shared from Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go back and we're going to stand right on some of those same scriptures again. And let that be our launching pad. So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I've got the new international, the NIV today. So uh, um, y'all know that last year I was using the New Living Translation and I'm still reading out of the New Living Translation. I've really enjoyed it. There have been a few things that I found where I'm like, ah, I wish <coughs> I wish that there were some words that I see put in there that they're trying to keep our focus in the right type of place. Um, and as I, when I'm studying and I'm focusing on a scripture, I also like to pull up the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar. I've studied Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but you can go to the concordance and see what words are used. Um, and now with these great tools that we've been given, the Blue Letter Bible and, and Gateway Bible, version. there's some great apps and versions that you can, I mean, tools that you can go to, it's angel music, um, that you can go to and, and, and you can pull up those verses, you can see what the root words are, and then you can pull those things up and <coughs> see definitions for those words, <coughs> excuse me, um, and sometimes you see that the, the, the translators are struggling in being able to communicate what's there because anytime you work from another language, Pastor Eric knows that, he knows Spanish, and, and if you've been around when translators are having to communicate what people said from one culture and they're taken to another culture, sometimes it's difficult. So words are, are placed there to help keep us on track. And uh, it's even no different in, in the, 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 the passage we're going to read today. hope I didn't lose everybody in saying that, but... You know, Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, and uh, even though he had spent some time there and had uh, some profound ministry there, it's really amazing to me when I think about that, that he would go to a place and minister for a few weeks, sometimes to a two year, a few years, and give them revelation. And again, I've said this before, they didn't have the New Testament written in that day. If they were connected with the synagogue, they may have had access to the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have a New Testament yet. And so these letters that they wrote were bringing life and truth and, and definition to them and sometimes correction to them for things where they may have been going off into error. But um, it's almost, you know, almost makes me feel a little bit anxious with the thought if, if uh, I were to travel somewhere and minister for a couple of weeks and then have to leave them if they didn't have a Bible and... How do, we, how do we assure that they stay in the right place? And the, you know, when I went to the Philippines many years ago, before a lot of y'all were born, um, um, I was 18. But we went to this little village up in the mountains. Uh, it was 10 miles from the little village that we had been in. It took us three hours by vehicle. And it was only 10 miles away. It was like you were four-wheeling in a, in a Dahatsu van, which would probably fit in one of these rooms out here. I mean, it was just a little thing, and they had 10 of us in that, that thing, and we were bouncing and jostling around and barely crawling over rocks. And, got, and then when we got to this place, they told us we had to walk a half an hour down a hill to be able to get the village down in the valley. And we got down there, and uh, they had a little tin church off to the side in a pigsty. And when I say in a pigsty, I mean in a pigsty. The pigs were all around the church, and they could go underneath the church because it was up on stilts. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a surreal in a pigsty. And it was the only land that they would give for the church to be there, and they were in this little narrow valley. But they were taking us on a tour in the afternoon and, and took us to this place and there was uh, uh, an area where they had taken flat rocks and made like a meeting area outside there was a tree there the Christians had made this place the villagers had made this place and they had a stone that was about this high that stood up um, in the middle of that that uh, little cleared space under the tree and our interpreter Albino he was in his 70s a little Filipino man that was interpreting for us he said here in this village every year at the time of harvest, they all come here, all the villagers come here, and they sacrifice pigs to the rice god. And then he kind of whispered, and he said, even the Christians sacrifice to the rice god. They still do. 
we found out that that pastor, and I've mentioned him to you before, but that pastor had gone to a, a, a town and heard somebody out on the street sharing the gospel about Jesus. He gave his life to the Lord, and then he went back to his village and told them the extent of what he knew. And a little church grew up. Some people gave their lives to the Lord. But, but what had happened was they didn't have a Bible, and they didn't have instruction about what was right or wrong. So that night when I spoke at the church, I talked about Jesus being Lord, about there being no other gods, and we're not supposed to worship any other gods, and the believers received it really well. But there was a mob waiting outside, and, and our team of, of six, when we left that building, the villagers had come out and lined the street, and they were hurling all kinds of accusations, and you could tell we stirred up a hornet's nest in the town. But anyhow, the believers received what, what had been heard, and, and, uh, but they didn't even have a Bible, not, not to the whole church. Can you imagine what it would be like not to have a Bible? What would you do? I tell you what, God had a plan. Let, let's go to, to Ephesians chapter 18, and we're going to read from there. What did I say? <clears throat> you haven't heard about the rest of the book? Okay, let's go to chapter 1 and, and verse 18. Feel free to keep me on track anytime, okay? I do need help. Okay, I get excited. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what the word says, and I'm reading out of the NIV. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us, some versions say through us, who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Today, we're going to completely define everything, and you will know all of these things perfectly by the time we get through. No, I'm joking. This is one loaded. If we wanted to spend a year on this, we could probably spend a year on this. So I'm going to hit the things that are standing out to me today. And first thing is that Paul says that Paul, when he thought about the Ephesian church, and they were a prominent church at this time, they were... There were things that needed to be straightened out in the church, but, I mean, in the town that they came from, it would have been a very corrupt and pagan town, one of the, the centers for pagan worship, the Diana cult there and, and, and other things that were going on. Um, but Paul's writing them. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Let's just take a moment and pause right there. What's he talking about, the eyes of your heart be enlightened? When I... When I went back and was looking up the word for eye here. I won't bore you with the Greek, but I just will say that the, the word for eye that's used here, it's sometimes used for the physical eye. And so you'll hear about people's eyes being healed and things like that, but it's also used regarding your perception or your understanding, your mindset. He's praying, he's not just praying for their eyes to be able to see better, obviously, okay? Uh, that's no surprise to anybody. But what he's understanding, look, your perception, your vision, or your understanding of things like that taint or enhance everything that you experience in life. Scripture says if, you're, you're white, if your eyes are weak or corrupted, and he's not talking about spiritual eyes there, but if they're somehow tainted, if our understanding when we see people, if we see people in the wrong kind of light, or if we somehow, when we're talking about God, if somehow we think that God doesn't care for us, or if we think that maybe God's out to get us in some kind of way, if we've got a tainted vision when it comes to God, it hinders how God can work through us. It hinders how we can receive from God. So God's desire, and Paul's reflecting that here, is that he wants the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. He wants our understanding about who God is and how God sees us to, to be revealed. He wants it to be us to have true vision. My whole life I've been blessed with 
with 2015 vision, a little bit better than average, and I love that. And y'all know my story, if you've been here for a while, how I battled through readers for a while, and I kept taking them off. And I told you how my mom told me I looked nervy because I kept, he said, you're looking older than you, than you really are, David. You need to do something. She's 83, and she's telling me I was looking old. And uh, so finally, I yielded and got these progressives so I can do like this and look up and down at things. Um, but I don't have to take them on and off. But look, if our vision, if our perception is skewed, it influences everything that we try to do. Sometimes keeps us from doing things. Paul says, look, I want you to have clear vision. I want you to be able to understand exactly who you are and what God desires for you in life. He says, I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. <clears throat> Paul, just the next chapter over, says, you know, there was one time that you were without hope. You were not a people of the covenant. You were outsiders. You were excluded. You didn't have the promise. But now, because of what Jesus has done, he has opened these gates to everybody. We all have the opportunity to be a part of the hope. Matter of fact, he comes back in Colossians. He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, what do people see in our lives? If we are supposed to be a reflection of the hope of Jesus Christ, if people should be able to look at our lives and see what Christ is like and supposed to be able to receive an understanding of what that hope is, are we a true reflection of, of what he's like and the life that he gives? Or are we, do we sometimes influence other people maybe to not, that maybe that, we're not enlightening their eyes the way their eyes need to be enlightened. Do you understand what I'm saying? What people see and experience in our life should help illuminate them and help them know what Christ is like. <clears throat> I don't always get it right. Matter of fact, sometimes I get it very wrong. I really like people. I had a, uh, a, the other day I went to a Chinese restaurant. I was trying my luck. Um, and uh, I just needed to get something real quick, and I knew they got the buffet. I can run in and get a plate and, and, and leave. So I went in there, and I sat down, and, and this is right here at the Tom Scarella movie. So I'm, I'm movies, services. <laughs> Maybe we should tell him. Um, the Tom Scarella services, and we've had all this going on and things like that. And I went in there, and I just wanted to run in and out, and three guys that had had hard hats in on came in and and sat down at a table and i felt like the lord said you know you're gonna pray for one of those guys and uh i'm like lord and then i heard one of them say that he had a hurt back you know or something had fell on his foot or something it was something something had fallen and so anyhow <clears throat> and you know what i ended up leaving the restaurant i never prayed for anybody confession is good for the soul And I thought, you missed it. And I did miss it. And I can tell by how quiet it is that y'all never have those experiences. <laughs> what if? <clears throat> yeah, see, I don't mind. I'm, I'm being transparent. I'm letting y'all know I miss it, okay? But thank the Lord that occasionally I get it right. And folks... The Holy Spirit knows my weakness. I think that he, he allowed me to have that experience just to burn me just a little bit and make me more hungry for the next time. Lord, don't let me miss another opportunity. Don't let me miss an opportunity. I, I know that, I, I, know that I'm, I, I, I miss it sometimes. <clears throat> but I'm going get, to get, get it right more than I miss it. Amen? That's my commitment. So, if we go on in this thing, he says, there's the, he said that you may know the hope to which you are called, to which he has called you, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We touched on this the other week, but folks, isn't it just amazing that when God looks at you, when God looks at you, he considers you a rich inheritance? Have you thought about that? <clears throat> this is kind of a two-way street when you read this passage, when you see how it is translated and how it can be translated. But when God looks at you, he values you. 
when God looks at you, you're his treasure. When you look in the mirror, can you say to yourself that I'm a part of God's treasure? I mean, is that perception, the enlightening of the eyes, is it tainted somehow? Do you say, well, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm not worthy of that. And I'm not, well, none of us are worthy of that. But Jesus paid a price for us. Jesus paid a price for us. We may have been broken, but he can fix it. We may have been soiled, but he can clean it. We may have been sick, but he can heal it. And that's what he came for. He valued us, and he went to the cross for us. And I just wanted to say that over you. You're his inheritance. He cherishes you. You know, if you receive an inheritance, you appreciate it, don't you? <clears throat> he didn't just receive an inheritance. He earned an inheritance. He paid a high price for your life. God loves you. God values you. Don't ever believe any lie of the enemy that tells you anything less. You're treasure in the eyes of the Lord. You're valued by the Lord. The other side of that is, and this can be interpreted this way also, that he is our inheritance. Our inheritance. We've been adopted into the family. We've got a place at the Lord's table. And he's our inheritance. We made one with him. It also talks about here, so it talked about it talked about hope. It talked about an inheritance. It also talks about power. It says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I have to pause and be careful every time I say the word incomparably because I want to stumble over it somehow, but incomparably. Incomparable. There's nothing to compare with the power of God. Sometimes there's this perspective that people have that there's dualism going on, that you've got good and evil fighting against one another and, you know, the yin-yang kind of thing that one, when one's strong, it kind of balances one another out. There, there is no yin-yang about the kingdom of God. There is no question as to who's in control. There is no question to who's, who's got the power here. The only reason why, why the enemy and... and, and uh, the devil is even tolerated, or the works of the devil is tolerated. God has given man a time to exercise his will and to make a choice. The only reason why there's sin in the earth is because God gave room for man to make a choice as to whether or not he would serve God or whether he would eat of the fruit of that tree. And man opened the door. I hear people so quickly say, why did God do this and why did God do that when man's the one who caused the pain and the, the heartache and the, the death that to, be, to have entrance into the earth. But there is incomparable power in God. There's no power to, to measure up. To, you know, I'm, every time I get into this, I, you know, I, I talk about, I've, I've taken you through a whole lot of things about the cosmos and and uh, uh, um, and creation, um, the mathematical probabilities of evolution. We won't go there again. Everybody went to sleep. Um, but folks, you can take and go not to the macrocosm, but go to the microcosm and go down to the just an atom. Just the amount of complexity in the atom. When I went to school. 200 years ago, they taught us about the protons and the neutrons and the electrons, and that's what the atom is made up of. That's all they knew, Ben. And now they're into quarks, and they figure that since those things exist, they've got to be something smaller that they're made up of. And since they're distinct, then there's got to be different characteristics. In order to create those different characters, they have to be different type of substances that put them together. So beyond what can be seen by our microscopes, there are things that exist. They're so much smaller. We need to ask these guys what the new names are. I said quarks, but there's all kinds of other things out there too. I'm, I'll feel old, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I talked with, with Christy about, uh, she's into genetics and, and, and all that type of thing. I had a fascinating discussion with her about genetics the other day because her study is just so intense. But even when we go smaller and smaller and smaller like that, we still find the majesty and power of God. We've seen destructively what happens when they explode an atom or, or, or 
fragment an atom and all of a sudden there's this atomic bomb, just the power that's released from the fragmenting of an atom and it causes a chain, re chain reaction, all of a sudden there's a huge destructive explosion. But yet it's all contained in that atom. The other day we were watching, um, um, what's that ocean show that I like to watch? The Blue Planet, Blue Planet 2. And they were showing these huge, massive 90-foot, it actually said 30-meter waves that were rolling and, and crashing on the coast. You know, and with regards to physics, they say that there is no, um, there, there is no new energy, that all the energy exists is just transferred. You familiar with that principle? It's like we're going to school today. But that energy is just transferred, that, that, that all the light from the sun and all the light from all the stars and all the heat generated and all the, the power that's exerted in the waves, it's not new energy. It's just the transference of energy to different things. You know what that means? That at the initial spark when God said, let there be, that there had to be a release of energy from him. And if all the energy that exists came from a source, can you imagine the authority that must have been behind those words when God said, let it be, let there be light. It all, it all came into being because of those words. It all resides in him. He is the source of energy, the source of light, source of power. Yet he said here in this thing, in this verse 19 said, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You know, we can look at Jesus' resurrection. We think, man, you know, to resurrect someone from the dead, that's, a, that's an awesome thing. Anybody here Resurrected anybody from the dead? Yet? Not yet. But I know people that have had that experience. I, I, know, I know I have never done that yet. I'm going to qualify. But I haven't done it. But look, we think that that's the most powerful thing that happened. It wasn't just that Jesus came back from having been crucified. But folks, do you realize that all the power of hell was resisting and trying to keep him from coming back. And in the midst of that event, if they could suppress and keep Jesus from coming back, it would have stifled the promise and what we could have received. But in the midst of all of hell and all the forces of the enemy trying to work against Jesus coming back to life, on the third day, he came walking out of that tomb. So it wasn't just his physical body being resurrected, but it was the overcoming of all that the power that, that sin and death and, and hell and all the workers of, of, of uh, all the demons working with Satan, all that they were trying to exert. But yet Jesus came from the grave. That's right. He, he came forth triumphant, didn't he? Raised from the dead, and it says beyond that, it said, and, he, and that power seated him at the right hand, his right hand in heavenly realms, far above every, far above, I, I, I jumped a line, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. He's got authority over it all. Everything that comes up against us, God's got authority over it. Everything that tries to plague us and take hold of us, God's got authority over it. Every opposition that comes against us in our families, in our workplaces, going around in the streets, going through the grocery store. I don't know why I always mention the grocery store. Maybe I'm getting hungry at lunchtime. But everywhere we go, folks, understand that in Christ we are bearing the authority. We're bearing the power. We carry that name everywhere we go. We're moving in the authority that God has given us. Every name or every title that can be given. Not only in this present age, there's an age to come that we know very little about. But he's still going to be Lord. And we're going to be his people. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. 
the fullness of him who fills everything and everything. Okay, there's a lot that I would like to get in, in that last part. But, folks, I want to step back just a little bit. And I want to go back to that part that says, That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ Jesus. I want to speak to us as a body. And uh, we're moving into a new phase, a new season there's an awakening that's happening in the body of christ and in our in our fellowship folks god wants us to move into the fullness of what god's intended for us all these years past eric of planting and sowing and weeding and and moving through things god is prepared for this day i sense it in my spirit i'm hungry for it um but I feel like God's opening the door for it. So I want us to be prepared. And I don't want us to miss something. I, I, want, I want us to get back to some very basic things. And, and today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, okay? Would you turn with me to, to John chapter 14? That same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. The same power. Lord Jesus, help me, I pray. John 14. Um, look, I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination. That was my roots. That's where I, I, I came from. And uh, I have seen a whole lot seeing a gamut of, of things, of things that where the Holy Spirit moved, where people were moved by the Holy Spirit, where people were moved by some kind of spirit. <clears throat> I've seen the abuse of, I've seen the real. I was early, it was early in my life where I first um, was introduced to the Holy Spirit. I remember getting scared to death one night watching a movie called Thief in the Night. And I hit the altar. I'd given my life to the Lord before that. But that night, I was going to make sure. And, uh, and I got down on the, on the floor, and I prayed. And I spent time down there. And during that time, I began praying. And I had been praying already, but I prayed for the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I had an encounter with the Lord and spent two hours down there speaking in a language that I didn't know. And <clears throat> I remember... I had a friend that was there at the same time, but I remember coming up from that place, and I remember my mom saying, David, your face has changed. You look different. You know, there was a glow about that. I've seen that same kind of glow on some of your faces when you had an encounter with the Lord, and that was a, a, a transformational experience with me. It introduced me to a relationship with the Lord on a whole new level. And uh, when I was about... 15 or 16 years old, I was in a school over in Africa, a Christian school, and uh, they did not believe the same way we believed, and because of that, I took a whole lot of flack. I got, I got beat up uh, verbally in some ways because, I, because of what I believed, and uh, the teacher in school said, uh, now, you know, he, we went through Acts chapter 2, and he read about the Holy Spirit coming. And he said, now, this happened back then, but this is not for today. You know, it's not for today. And, and I'm sitting there in a the class, and there were a sprinkling of other Pentecostal-believing folks in there. And uh, everybody was just as quiet as anything, and I kind of slid up my hand. Sir? And they said, yes. And I said, um, I just want to, I said, I, I'm, I, I just have to say something. I said, I, I I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit and spoken in other tongues. And uh, I said, I have to apologize. I said, I did speak in other tongues. I said, I do speak in other tongues. And I said, I apologize because I don't know where the scriptures are. I said, but I'll find them. Okay? If someone were to ask you today where the scriptures are, could you take them there? Could you show them, you know? And, and so for me, it was a challenge because I realized, okay, there's a lot of things that I believe because mom and dad believe it and because I heard it in church. But if I were to have to defend what I believe or I was, was asked to show somebody where, I couldn't do it. So I was 15, 16 years of age, and, and I, I, remember, I remember having a, a leader for Kenya for Youth with a Mission, if you remember Youth with a Mission. 
that came over to our house and he and dad laid hands on me and prayed for me for God give me wisdom in how to go forward and ha how to uh, share my faith with others. And the, the other Pentecostals in that Bible class, they never said anything the whole class. They just let me hang out to dry. And uh, anyhow, it became a journey for me wanting to understand, and, and it's, it's a, been a lifelong thing. I don't want to just hear about what I'm supposed to believe. I want to know why I believe what I believe. Yes, I've received things from Revelation for the Lord and from ministers sharing, but I want to find it in the Scripture. I want to go study it out and, and come to an understanding of it. So it became a several-year journey with me trying to understand about this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing and the speaking in tongues part of it And uh, because speaking in tongues is, is just an entrance or an introduction to a whole lot more that the Holy Spirit would like to do through us. And uh, I feel like I'm opening a can of worms that I won't be able to cover all the bases today. But, but um, anyhow, I, I started this journey with the Lord and felt like the Holy Spirit took me to school and would introduce me to aspects of, of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to work through my life. And then, and, and then he, would, he would let me experience something and then would also let me see it in Scripture and come to an understanding of it so that I'd be able to share it with people. So it was a several years journey of the school, uh, school of the Holy Spirit. And then there was a lot of things that I was encountering and doing because I felt prompted of the Holy Spirit. And then I came here to this church in 1986 on an internship uh, for 10 weeks. And for the first time, I heard teaching that really showed me in the Scripture where a lot of those things were, that there was biblical foundation for that. And then when I came back in 1989, again, we were being grounded in the Word and learning of things. But you know, the, the Holy Spirit coming was such a vital thing. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, You will receive power, dunamis, like dynamite, power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And he was talking to his disciples. Jesus was getting ready to leave and go up in, into heaven, and he was not wanting to leave his disciples here powerless. So he told them, he said, Look, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power to be witnesses. You're going to... Uh, be, receive power to do the work that I'm calling you to do. And he said, told them it was so vital and important that they receive that power that don't go into this upper room and, and stay there. Don't leave there until you receive that power. So how many of you would get excited if I told you, look, folks, we're going to have an encounter with God. God's got something special for us. So we're going to show up at church Sunday night, and we're going to stay here until... Well, folks might be excited for about an hour or two or three, and then like, you know, I don't know how long this is going to take. I mean, you know the Super Bowl is coming next week. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, our daily schedule, where, what did the disciples do about their, you know, the folks they're up in the upper room? There was 120 of them, but what about their jobs and their families and their lives? And who's going to do the dishes and cook and clean and, you know, take care of the kids getting to school? And, you know, we've got... People that depend on us out there. It says that they stayed in the upper room for 10 days. I wonder if it took 10 days for them to come to one accord. You know, at that time, I imagine if you're going to stick it out, you're probably pretty dedicated to what's going on. And, uh, but after 10 days, there was this mighty sound of a mighty rushing wind, and there were tongues of fire that settled on the, the heads. I don't know what all that looked like, but... Uh, but there was this powerful encounter from on high, and it said that they began to speak in other tongues. And then the people that were from other countries that had come to the city for the, the, the Feast of Pentecost, they were hearing what these people were saying, but they were hearing it in their own language. These Galileans and people that were a collection up there in the upper room were speaking in these languages that were from all over the nations of the world that were there gathered, and they were hearing them glorifying God in their native language. But it was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. They were receiving power from the Lord. And I'm, I'm going back over to John 14 because this is where Jesus earnestly is speaking to the disciples. He's letting them know about the promise that's going to come to them. But understand where we are in time in Jesus' life. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but this was the night when he was getting ready to be betrayed. So, you know, there have been times when I was getting ready to go on a trip and to another country and questionable circumstances, the place where I was going to go. One of the things that I have 
just felt drawn to do when I was getting ready to do that is to gather my family together and have prayer with them and to say a, a few last things. They may have not been conscious of what I had going on in my heart, but there are certain things that if I, if I never had the opportunity to say them, say them again, I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave them unsaid. Was that too confusing the way I said that? In other words, I don't want to miss the opportunity to put something in their heart to encourage them in some kind of way, to give them <coughs> some knowledge or some truth that they could carry with them. If nothing else, that they would never have a question in their mind as to whether or not their dad loved them or not. I want them to hear it one more time. Well, Jesus has gathered with his disciples that he has had with him for three or three and a half years. They're all gathered up there in that upper room, and he is... Is one of his acts of kindness and appreciation of them is that he takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets down on the floor, and he begins to wash their feet. And they're like, Jesus, don't, you know, what are you doing? We need to be washing your feet. He said, no, it's important that I do this. And he took his time to wash their feet. What an act of graciousness. Now, folks, <clears throat> I'm going to step into something, go inside bar on us. <clears throat> There's some real subtle things that the enemy, maybe not so subtle, but we, we need to be mindful of. Um, people love to be built up and elevated. People don't really like to be humbled. Anybody love to be humbled? Yeah. Don't pray for it unless you really want it. Um, but there are some teachings in the body of Christ, and, and there are some good and valid things. Look, our position in Christ is a whole lot more than we grasp or understand. We've got much more authority. We've been called to a whole lot more. God can do a whole lot more through us. And when we understand what Jesus accomplished for us and we find out what he does with us and for us in, in, in eternity, it's going to be amazing. And there's a place where we need to walk in the authority that he's called us to. You know, we just saw in here it says that, it's that the same powers that work in us that was at work in Christ Jesus. So God can do amazing things through us. But in the body of Christ, there's uh, a strain of teaching that's going out that really is, it, 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 it's subtle because there are aspects of it that's biblical and then there's aspects of it that I think are a little bit dangerous. And it comes it has to do with the exaltation of man. It's, it is fine to say that we are sons of God, but that doesn't mean we're equal with him. He is the son of and we are his body, yes. Uh, Tom mentioned on that. We're his body. Yes, we are. We're working. And, and I'm, not, I'm not challenging what he's saying. I, I, I agree with what he's saying. But what becomes dangerous is when we come to the place to where what's happening is what the serpent tried to do with Eve in the garden. Look, if you'll just eat of this fruit, you'll be like unto God. Because... Sometimes people get into teaching or they get into things where they start trying to elevate themselves and they're putting themselves up on a plane up here. You know what's interesting about that? I, I read Paul and Paul says, with the knowledge of all that, he, all that he had accomplished and all that he had done and all the power that God had exerted through him and all the places that God had carried him, Paul responds, you know what he says? I, I'm, a, I'm a servant. I'm a bondservant. I've given myself to him. I find myself in a position where I'm, I'm it, the term really is, was almost offensive to us today, but he says, I'm a, I'm a slave. It's not about being in bondage to, it's about having given oneself to. A bond servant is someone who had the opportunity to have their freedom and to walk away. But they came back and they loved their master. They loved their Lord so much that they said, I want to work for you perpetually I give myself to you, even though I have the right to my freedom. I put the all through the, the earlobe of the doorpost of the house. I, you know, they would stick an all through and to the doorpost of the house, drive it through, and it was a symbolic act saying, look, I give myself to this household. And Paul said that. So if you read Paul's writing, he understood the authority that he had been given. He understood about doing the works of the Lord and all that, but he also chose to take the position of a servant and that servanthood teaching is not very popular in the body of christ right now it's more about exaltation and uh tom and i were talking about it the other day and i said you know what concerns me is it's it's the focus of the exaltation of man 
It is true that we need to come to a knowledge of who we are in the Lord, but it's not about exalting ourselves and us trying to get up on a pedestal and, oh my goodness, look at me. That's a dangerous place. For me, folks, I'm going to choose humility, but I want to do the works of the Lord. You understand that? All right. I haven't really gotten to John 14 yet, have I? All right. <clears throat> Let's go to John 14 and start with verse 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me, listen to this now, will do what I have been doing. <coughs> he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Does that strike a chord with you? I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus, in his walk on the earth, he functioned in an authority. He functioned in his power as the Son of God and as, as, as God himself. And he was able to accomplish things on the earth. But he speaks of those who will follow him. And he said, those who follow him will do the same works and even greater works. Now, I've heard people define and go on and explain what the greater works away and say that this also has to do with Jesus only had three and a half years and, you know, the greater works is actually is that we'll do more works because we've got more time to live. That may be the case. I'm not concerned about even going back and forth with that. But folks, even doing the same works that Jesus did, I, I, we've received... A lot of us have received the Holy Spirit. We've been given that dynamite, that dunamis, that power to be witnesses. Can we call on you to do the greater works or call on you to do the works? Um, I was challenged the other night. We had some ministry go on here that stretched me, refreshed some things and stretched me in a new kind of way and, and, and had a learning experience. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. Um, but it also awakened me and said, you know, we need to be ready. We need to be ready to minister to the people that God sends to us and not draw back from that. Whatever it is, um, without going into a whole lot of detail, detail, one of the things that was emphasized was that there was some uh, attempt to mock, to belittle, and to say, you can't do this. You don't have the power. You don't have the authority. I'm just completely comfortable with being taken out of the picture. It doesn't have a thing to do about me. It has everything to do about Jesus. Okay, in the power and authority that Jesus has, and the power and authority that Jesus has given, we function and we operate. But folks, God needs vessels in the earth that he can work through. If you are all the time or a lot of the time looking for someone else to do it, you're missing your opportunity to do the works that God's called you to do. Jesus said here, I tell you the truth, if anyone, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So what am I saying? Last year, last year, I, uh, my brother went to go be with the Lord after a long battle with um, muscular sclerosis. Say it, MS, <laughs> sclerosis. Why I say it all the time? I can't. Sclerosis. There we go, y'all. <laughs> MS. And uh, you know, I, I I shared with you about me joking around with him because he pulled out his magnifying glass and his magnifying page and put it on his Bible that five days that I spent with him before he died, and he set them, on, set them on his Bible like that. And I joked around with him. I said, well, Philip, are you going to read through the Bible this year? He said, well, I did last year. I was hoping to do it again. I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. You know. Um, I don't understand why Philip battled with that and why he wasn't healed with that, but I know that with what he had, he served the Lord, and he, he intentionally blessed people. And even from a wheelchair, he was laying hands on people and praying for people to be healed. And uh, he's with the Lord now. But one thing that stood out in my mind about 
that muscular sclerosis, that vile disease, is the thing that stands out is that what happens is that there's a virus that attacks the body. And the virus enters somehow the nervous system and infects the nervous system. And what happens is the body recognizes there's something wrong. Something is not right here. And so the body's immune system starts trying to attack the virus. And in attacking the virus, it actually starts attacking its own nervous system and causes scars on the nervous system. And the scars stop the communication between that area of the body and the brain. So the brain can't send the message and the, and the brain can't get the message from the body. There's an interruption of communication. And the virus is in there, but it's hiding as though it is the nervous system and the body is actually attacking its own nervous system. And what ends up happening is that there's destruction and when, you, you're, when your organs can't hear that they're supposed to be doing something or when your limbs hear that they can't do something, it's a destructive thing. And I remember praying about my brother and, and the Lord just saying, this is like my body. You know, there's viruses in the Lord's body. There's things that we have held on to and, <clears throat> and, and sometimes we tend to attack other people. Oh, we see something that may be wrong, we recognize it wrong, but we attack in the wrong kind of way and we actually bring destruction and what ends up happening to the body of Christ, we have this grudge against this person and unforgiveness can hinder the grace of God in our life. We, 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 we allow things that stop God from being able to use us. We become embittered or we maybe carry around hurts from our past and what it does, it shuts us down, the walls close in around us and we can't hear from God the way we're supposed to. We can't hear from our head. Because we got stuff going on in our own head. Or we are limiting ourselves because of our relationships with other people and the brokenness in the body keeps us from having the cohesion to be able to flow and function the way God intended for us to function. And all the time, our head is trying to get the word to us to tell us what we need to do. And when we go to the Chinese restaurant and the head's telling us these guys need prayer, we're like, but God, you know not really convenient right now you got it. i gotta go and uh we miss it and what happened we've got a dysfunctional body just like someone that might have ms the brain's working just fine there's nothing really wrong with the limb or the body but the communication has been cut off and we need to be healed <laughs> folks every time the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something. Like me, since I've already confessed, I'm putting myself out there too. Every time the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, I need you to do this. And we say, but. Or we say, I'm too busy. Or we say, isn't there somebody else? We're causing his body not to function the way he intends it to function. How would you like to... <laughs> I used to sleep on my stomach all the time. I don't do it anymore. But I used to sleep on my stomach. And there's sometimes when I would have my head, my arms up over my head like this. Anybody had this experience? I don't know if you realize where I'm going. But I'd wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning, and my arms were asleep. Anybody had that? I'm going to tell you, that is the strange fish-out-of-water kind of feeling thing. How are you going to roll over when your arms are blocking you from rolling over? And literally, you're kind of flopping. You, you got can't move your arms, you're stuck there. And finally, if you get your arms to your side, you can kind of get over the side and then you start feeling the tingling and the blood starts coming back. But you've cut off the blood to your arm and you feel completely helpless there until you can finally get the blood flowing again. God needs his whole body functioning because when we are not functioning, his body has become dysfunctional and he can't accomplish the things he needs to accomplish. So, why would we limit God? Why not make ourselves totally and completely available and just say, I love this. Lord, what do you want to do today? What can we do today, Lord? Here I am, use me. So God's, Jesus says here, look, and here's the thing. You know, a lot of people get excited about being able to ask God things, but folks, when we're really in fellowship with him, what happens is that our requests become in line with what his heart is. I may sometimes get under Cecile's skin and, and she may not be happy with everything I'm doing, but I'm not going to go out and do things that I know are hurtful to her or things that bring pain to her, not intentionally. 
Because, why? Because I love her. <clears throat> and I wouldn't do that. If you're really walking in a relationship with God, you're not gonna, you should not be going out there to do things that you know bring pain to him. <clears throat> but when he needs to do things and we limit him, then we do bring pain to him. Look, I need to get back on course. Verse 15 says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. You know, that's pretty plain. I don't think I have to go to the Greek with that, right? If you love me, you'll do what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. So here, this last night that he has with his disciples, he starts talking about another counselor. The word there where it says another counselor. There's two words that are used for another in, in the Greek. One is heteros, which means of another kind another kind so you can have two that are similar but one's different you know um that word's still used in our in our vernacular now so that's not a surprise to us but it's it's similar but of another kind that's not the word that's used here it's altos altos means just like the original so you may have had one thing and somehow that got lost and you go out and you buy an identical something just like that to replace what you had that's the word that used, same as. But he's referring to the Holy Spirit. The way the Holy Spirit functions, Jesus came from the Father. He was born of the Virgin Mary, but he came in human flesh. And by being in human flesh, he was list, limited to with regards to space and time where he would go. Uh, I'm sure I stepped on some kind of theology there. But anyhow, he was in a physical body. We won't dwell on that. But he said it was important for him to go so that God could send, that the, the Father could send the Holy Spirit. It's the same in nature. The Holy Spirit is the same in nature. He's not different than Jesus. He is the same as another counselor. But he's the same as. The same word counselor, parakletos. The word para means alongside Kletos, it comes from the root to call, but one that's called alongside to help, like an advisor or a counselor, or a term that I like to, to hear in, in uh, relation to the Holy Spirit is that he's like a coach. He's a coach. You know what's interesting about a coach? For our application today, <clears throat> the coach comes out and he says, look, if you'll, I'm not a basketball player, okay, so... So, I mean, the coach will tell you how to roll the ball off of your hand and how to take the shot and how to stand, tell you how to charge on the court and how to maneuver to get in there to make that shot. He'll drill you and make you work and work and work until what one time was not familiar to you becomes a fundamental. It's a part in your toolbox where he can, he, you can draw from that anytime you need it, just spontaneously. You step into that thing and you use that skill that, that was given or something that was developed inside of you. The coaches on the sideline telling, reminding you, look, watch out, they're, they're, they're coming this way at you. You need to set your defense this way. Or, hey, I see an opening. You can get in there and make that score if you if you're, if you're run it this way, run the play this way. The coach is over there yelling. You know what the coach is not doing? The coach isn't out there on the court. Now the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to do the work. But, folks, it's not going to happen unless you do it. He'll prompt you. He expects you to speak. He'll tell you to put your hand on that person, but he expects you to do it. He's not going to raise your hand, whoa, you know, and get you to go do something like that. The Holy Spirit is at work inside of us, and he's going to teach us all truth. He will lead us into all truth. He will guide us and direct us. But his intention is for us to be willing to do it. So let me challenge you with this. The Lord's not impressed with how much you know. What are you doing with what you know? <laughs> you can have a Ferrari in the in the garage. But there may be a little child out there in the cul-de-sac 
riding a bicycle that's doing more than you are with a Ferrari. Ow. Okay? We have to do, we have to operate with the Holy Spirit. We have to take what we've learned and put it into practice. I'm starting to get hungry, Kelly. I'm hungry for more than just soup. When we put up their encounters that transform lives, there's encounters that happen right here in the sanctuary that will set people free, open their hearts, clean their minds, bring healing to their bodies, and I believe their lives will never be the same again. But if all we're doing is having encounters in the church and we feel good and we go back home and we live our lives and we never take that encounter to the streets, we never go to the hospitals and the nursing homes and the schools and the banks and the grocery stores and wherever God takes our feet, we're serving ourselves. We can know all the riches of the kingdom. We can have parse the Greek, and I'm trying to come up with some kind of word to say it. We can know it all, but folks, what good is it other than puffing us up unless we do something with what we have, unless we do things for people and we obey the Lord in our walking out and our working out and our everything that we do, that we become servants of the Most High God. I, I believe... <laughs> I'm passionate about the fact that I believe that God has us at an appointed time, an appointed time as a body of believers and for our community. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I believe that he's got the right people. And it's not just about us. It's about what God's trying to accomplish in his kingdom in the earth. I trust that there's other people, other churches in this area, that there's a spark going on. This week, i be praying. I've got a meeting on Thursday morning with some pastors. Let's see what God does, what he can ignite, what he begins. Please pray for us. It's not just about the pastors. Let me tell you, you can accomplish more where you are. When people hear I'm a pastor, their language changes. They're, they clean up their act real good. We had that experience at a restaurant. The guy was a little bit, you know, chattery, and then they found out that we were pastors, and all of a sudden, you know, just smoothed out. Uh, yeah. Folks, people will be more real with you than they will be with me. But you're a conduit for life. You're a conduit for the power of God. Let God flow through you. There's a whole lot more that I would love to be able to, I'm not going to take the time to share because I feel like the Holy Spirit telling me to come to a close right here. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let Him work through you. If you don't understand about the working of the Holy Spirit, if it's something that's new to you and you feel like it's kind of a fog and you know, just haven't got it, please ask the question. Look, I hope that we don't be a, we, we, we're not a Sunday morning church, okay? I look forward to these fellowship times we get to sit around and we get to ask questions, interact, and the, 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 the connect groups where people get to sit around and get real and people get to share what God's been doing in their life and in their heart. You get to pray for one another and I remember our group down in Florida that we had that met at our house. My goodness, one night they came in and we had this young couple that had just been, been married and they came in and when they came in, you could feel the burn when they came in. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't in the car on the way to the, the meeting. To what we called group, we just called a group. We got group on Friday night. And they came walking in the door and went to the opposite side of the room. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. Kind of, the air just kind of got chill in it. And uh, finally, one of the people said, okay, we're not going any further until we deal with this. Look, you need to go sit over there with, with, with her. And so they sat beside each other, but it was still. You know what was beautiful? Before long, we had a lady who had been a stripper. Her husband had been, with, he said, with over 200 men. They were sitting knee to knee with that couple saying, look, you don't know what you have. You don't know how to value what you have. And whatever it was that went on the car is not worth this. And I thought, Lord, I love this body. I love to see what God's doing through his people. And got to see 
tears begin to flow, not just about that couple, but everybody in the room were crying, and, and we got to see God change some lives right there. Because in that little pressure cooker environment of a home group, God transformed people's lives. That's why I'm passionate about our body and moving forward, about us being a home group church, that we have meetings in homes and in places and at Panera or Hardee's or whatever it is, that we, we get together with groups of people and, and, and sometimes drink really good coffee. I love coffee. And, and have meetings where people's lives are real and exposed and we don't have to be afraid about what people think about us because we love each other too much to, to even be offended and we just pour into one another and share life and share Jesus and it becomes infectious because we invite somebody and they see this dynamic going on but people's lives are being changed. Why? Because people are having encounters that are transforming lives and the power of God that's come to work inside of us and set us free just becomes infectious and we share that with the people we come in contact with and all of a sudden life is beginning life and we're duplicating the life of Christ that we've received in the lives of other people and it just becomes this viral thing that's touching lives and another church has an encounter and their church comes alive and they don't have to come here they can stay there because we don't have enough room for anybody anyhow we don't have enough room for everybody anyhow there we go but God's work is moving forward and people are being changed and the body of Christ is coming alive and that maimed body that was ineffective and not really accomplishing everything all of a sudden strength starts to come back because the communication is reconnecting and life is happening and the dynamic power of God and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has raised that body up out of the wheelchair and life happened and Jesus is glorified and we could look back and say oh Lord look what you have done Look what you've done. We felt life-transforming power when we came to knew, know Jesus. May God restore our passion. Every lie of the enemy that disqualifies, may it just disappear like a vapor. And may the truth of God's kingdom reign in our hearts. Let's do the works of the Lord. Let's see people set free. I can't control what every other believer in the world does, but with regards to me, I want to be that person that God wants. I want to be that person that God needs. I don't know where you are. I see heads nodding, so I know that some of you are there too. God, you don't have to look anywhere else. Here I am. I am not content with hearing about somebody else's story about what God's done in their life. It stirs, lights my fire. It gets me excited, but I'm like, Lord, if you can do it with them, you can do it with me. So let's go. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. That's enough. We're going to stop right there. But folks, stir up the coals on your altar. Let the fire come. Would you just make a dedication of your life by standing with me today? Bless you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Uh, Lord, I just feel like I've been scratching the surface today. I haven't gone everywhere that I'd like to go. But Lord, I pray that you would take us where you want us to go. Lord, we need, we don't want to just be able to say we've got the Holy Spirit, dear Lord. We want you to be able to operate in us. We want the power and the authority, dear God. Destroy the works of the enemy. Establish your kingdom through us. God, I pray for a release of your anointing over everybody that's in this place today that's hungry and passionate for you, dear God. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to work effectively for your kingdom. God, that we would see souls saved, that we would see people delivered from the power of the enemy. God, that we would see healings manifest. God, that your truth would, would demolish the works of the enemy. God, that darkness would be exposed and the light would come. Lord, every principality and power and ruler and authority that's raised up against you in the name of Jesus, we stand against it right now and we declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. God, we speak forth the prophetic word, your God, so that we can see the day of possession. God, everywhere our feet tread, when we leave this building, your God, and when we 
finish over the other building and where we spread out across this community and we take our drive through the town, dear God, and we, some are going to Jacksonville, dear God, and different places that we go. Lord, I pray that as we move, dear God, there will be a, a shaking in the, in the spirit realm, dear God. There will be a, a quiver or a shaking that hits the spirit realm, dear Lord, because even in the entities and powers in the spirit realm, Lord, they'll recognize that the presence of God has just passed through that place, Lord. God, and we'll re-educate even principalities have been in place for a long time about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Have your way here, dear God, in our hearts, dear God. And Lord, we dedicate Wilson, Wilson County, and every place where we go that we have influence, dear God, we dedicate it to you. Jesus, be Lord. Bless your people, dear God, and cause us to be a blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.